0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at SumatiSparks.com. And today we have as our guest, Anita DeFrancesco. She's the founder of Tantra Wisdom. Anita is a modern sex and relationship coach, a somatic psychotherapist specializing in Reiki and bioenergetics therapy. The author of Live Free and the host of the Mindfulness Sexuality and Relationships podcast, Anita is bi-coastal, splitting her time between Philadelphia and Los Angeles. Welcome to the show, Anita. Hello, Sumitin.
0: Well, thank you for having me. Good evening.
1: So glad to have you here. So, how did you first get? Tell us how you first got on the path of healing and spirituality and tantra. Well, you know, Tantra is is
0: something that came along the path. Um, When I was growing up, I had many, many awakenings over the years as a child. And I think a lot of time people find their path, if if they spark awareness in their psyche somewhere along the way, they find their path in, you know, their own experiences. And for me, I've had many experiences um, being sick as a child in a hospital from six months to a year with rheumatic heart disease. I've had other things that happen along the path, but I thought that everything that happened to me was part of who I was to become so it is sort of a path that chose me rather than me choosing the path itself and um one of the things um, also that got me on to the, the path of love and healing is, you know, when you when I grew up in a family where my parents didn't really know how to communicate and didn't really know how to love one another, although the love was there, they just didn't know um, how to express it, how to bring it out, how to cultivate it, how to honor it. And as I was, you know, moving in my path, I thought that respect and was a big part of love, and a lot of people or couples sort of needed to learn this kind of thing, and and that's how I, one of the ways I got into this whole, um, you know, tantra, um, and and it just started, you know, the path started to uh, carve out itself for me. Being sick with a heart disease, and you know, being an only child in a hospital amongst African American kids, where my heart, uh, a lot of children were dying back then in 1966, and And I opened my heart, my heart chakra, which I didn't know what a heart chakra was then, but I opened my heart chakra into um, knowing that I needed my heart for love, to to be able to love someone. And so that's really how it started, of of, of learning how to love someone. And, you know, all the other experiences that came down
1: the pike later all were the awakenings. How did you know to open your heart chakra, even though you didn't have that language at the time? You know, was it just an intuition while you were young in the hospital? Well, well um, I was, you know, I
0: was laying in a bed. I was, hot. I was away for a year, but I was hospitalized in one particular place for six months, and those, those, that was a very profound experience for me because. Uh, when I uh, it was a it was a hospital just for heart disease for children, rheumatic fever, and when um, one day uh, I didn't have any friends and no one talked to me because it was, it was I was the only white child amongst African Americans at the time. It was just at that year. It was that's what was going on in 1966 in Philly, and uh, no one played, We didn't play together because it wasn't a thing to do then. And I would tell my mother, I, I want to play with the kids, but, you know, we don't, we, society didn't allow that. You know, it just was that mm-hmm. way. And, mm-hmm. and so I had to really, I had to really, as, and, and being a child in there that couldn't see the parents, because my parents couldn't come to see me all the time, it was too far away, and I was dying, and children were being brought out in body bags every day, and I was scared. You know, you're a child. So children, as a child, I guess I create it my own survival method of reaching out to make these hospital children my best friends. And I Mm. realized on some creative level, I, I reached out to them, and I was like, who's coming to dinner in 1966? And I, from then on, they were my friends when I left the hospital. And when I was in there, I mean, literally, they... They did and I did. They would come to me and, and, like, beat me up because it was like that's what was happening in the world. But mm-hmm. then I turned that whole thing around creatively. I just, all of a sudden, one day, I just start moving my body, undulating in the bed. Not that I knew what undulation was. Um, mm-hmm. And I was, you know, wasn't allowed out of bed because 105 fever, they take you on ice every night. And you're not allowed out of bed. And, and, and Joseph Pilates had the same disease. And he, you know, used to do that with the... Uh, the sheets and make all these kind of uh, reflex hinges and things. That's how he came up with Pilates equipment work. Mm. And, and uh, he had the same disease. And um, although he was older than me, um, incredibly my heart opened up and I don't know what happened, a miracle. I was just like everyone was wanting to be my friend. <laughs> it was, wow. It was like, it was, yeah, and I opened up this, this whole chakra and I, all of these kids, I reached out to them because I needed their love to not die,
1: uh-huh. to not die.
0: And, every, and, and I'm telling you, I witnessed 10 body bags being brought out. And you're a kid, and, and you're like, oh, my God, you're next. You know, because that's, they didn't have enough medicine then to, to heal rheumatic fever and asthma. It was asthma and rheumatic fever. And uh, I, I, I consider myself not to be lucky. I just consider that life is a gift. And that I was able to have that intrinsic talent of knowing how to get to a heart, how to get people to open up, and how to get people to not live in the war zone of the mind, the hate of Mm -hmm. the mind. Because in those Mm -hmm. children, which you could not blame them or me, but in their mind, I was considered a pharaoh, like an outcast, because, you know, hey, whites and blacks didn't talk then.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: in Philadelphia, in Philadelphia, that was very, very, very prolific here. It was very; people didn't go in the same restaurants. And so, by when I went to the hospital for that particular year, it was the first year that it was like an all-girls ward, and I was the only white child. And I was, and I didn't want to say because I was culture shock, you know. And and then, and uh, but that is how I overcame prejudice at that time. Not that I knew what prejudice was then, because I didn't
1: learn prejudice. I learned the opposite. Right. So it sounds like this was your gift, um, and clearly that's what you're here to offer is how people can open their heart and love past suffering, uh, sickness, um, differences in skin color, differences in whatever else. Um, at at what point in your life did you realize, like, this is what I'm here for, and, and all of this that happened to me is just grist for the mill for my teaching. At what point did you really get that, or are you still getting that?
0: <laughs> no, no, no. Well, you know, when I came home from that hospital and I went back to my school, which was, you know, I'm old with white kids now, because that's what it was. And, like, I was gone for an entire year. Six months there, but an entire year of being sick. Six months in one hospital, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the time, in and out of other hospitals. But When I came back to school, none of the kids knew me, and and I felt very much, again, like an outcast, and I I seemed different to them, and I I really believe I had an awakening. I had an awakening. (laughs) Well, I don't believe it. I know that I did, but at that time, I didn't know what it was, and I was just like, I came into my higher power, and it was a miracle, and everyone was looking at me, and they all stood there and gave me a gift, and you could hear a pin drop. I felt like, honest to God, I felt like Princess Grace Kelly getting out of the car, and all of the children, uh-huh. fifty of them, lined up with a gift for me. I felt like a like a queen, a princess. At the age and how of old nine. were how old and, were
1: you at that time? Nine, nine years nine. old. My wow. mother. You know, wow. Yeah.
0: So well, and I went to Catholic school, so all of the nuns, you know, they made the, the kids write me letters, and I had tons of letters. I still have some of them. And when I came home, my mother had this party, and. And I got out of the car, and it was like, I thought you know, I, I, like a prince, like like Princess Gay, or like Prince Diana, getting out of the car, and everyone just stood there and looked.
1: And that's exactly mm.
0: like what it was. And I had risen, honestly, I had risen into my into a shamanic power at that time. That that gift came to me then. That wisdom came to mm-hmm. me then. Mm-hmm. And then I. And went so on to and, yeah, go ahead. I went on to school and I had, you know, of course I had, you know, had to go to summer school one or two years because I had missed an entire fourth grade, but a lot of the kids, they didn't really accept me because I seemed to be a little bit different. I don't know. It was different to them. Uh-huh. And you know, how, how it is in the East coast, you know, hood type neighborhoods, you know, everybody has to, mm-hmm. so I just went on. And then other things happened for me over, after that, you know, I, I, I went on to, um, you know, my journey up until till school was done and watched my parents fight. And, and all of that was just like for my other brothers and sisters, it was very difficult. And for me, it was very like I was like the God there, you know, it was like the God mm-hmm. who sent me to my family to, to make them understand what love was. It I was just uh, anyway. So that was the beginning.
1: And then at what point did you realize that this would be your work?
0: Um, well, then when I uh, was in my 20s, now, again, in Philadelphia at that time, you know, we didn't have all the New Age community. I moved to L.A. later, but, you know, I had to move to L.A. because I wanted to learn more things about the New Age and the spirit and you know, I was collecting books and doing all kinds. I met someone in Philly, uh, Swami Varato. He was a uh, he was actually a tantra teacher. He had a New Frontier magazine. It was one of the very first healing magazines, or that you would find. You know, these new little magazines that go around for healing, where where people advertise for yoga and things. And he was one of the first magazines, and I loved his magazine. And I saw the word tantra in there. And I asked him to teach me Tantra, and he didn't really teach me Tantra. He gave me a a couple of lessons that I knew it was much more than what he had, you know, was teaching me or knew. So then from there, I um, met some other people. Um, I was dating a man, and then he was a married man, or separated. And him and his wife had this book called The um, Sexual Secrets, a very famous book that was one of the first Tantra books out. Um, And he had a couple books like on Tantra and sexuality and Kama Sutra. And he had like a box of them. I mean, a box of them. And he gave them to me. I still have them. And, And I was like amazed because he was very conservative and very provincial. And Philadelphians, I didn't even think that any Philadelphians back in the 80s bought sexual books. And uh, well, they did, but he said he and his, his wife experimented with these commissura positions. So he gave me the books, and I thought that's when I realized then that my path it was it was it was for me. He said you should do this, mm-hmm. learn this, you should teach it, and that's what people were telling me: just teach this.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't
0: like they were they were, I think, you know, I was in Philly, and of course I had to leave because I needed to get higher education in the world in the business of this. And it wasn't going to be here in Philly, because Philly is just starting to pop now here. And um, when he gave me those books, then I uh, ended up, uh, you know, embarking in different sexual things with people and moved around from darkness to lightness. And and then I ended up going to California. But I I knew at that point that, that it was. But I knew I had a lot more study to do before Tantra. And...
1: Mm-hmm. I I
0: knew, I just knew everything that I studied, I just knew that that was all Tantra. That Tantra was everything. It wasn't mm-hmm. just sex. It wasn't just mm-hmm. romance or sexual energy. I went to L.A. and I started studying, well, I was already studied yoga, but I had gone there. And then I really got into yoga and mastered yoga. Then I got into dance movement, dance movement therapy, every kind of movement you can think of. I've studied with every dance movement, artist, teacher from San Francisco to L.A., contact improvisation, breathing this, breathing that, everything. And until I was ready to leave L.A., and then I decided I'm going to call myself Tantra Wisdom. Because I really, then I start going to Tantra classes, and it was everything that I was doing. So I realized I had to study all these other things because you need. there's a repertoire of work that you do. And you mm-hmm. just don't go to Tantra and learn how to sit across from someone and do a cobra breath. There's a whole, there's a whole, uh, you know, bag full of tools. And I did study all of those so tools. I just kind of just fell into them. And I was, I had this desire really to, I had this, this burning desire inside me um, that it was a desire that I was being called to do. So it was something that was calling me, like, go. And, and and as much as I was here in Philly and I had lived in New York before I went there, I I really I wanted to go but I didn't want to go because there were things here in Philly that I had I wanted to do but I, I just woke up and I said I have to go. It was almost like somebody was holding my hand, taking me there. And
1: mm-hmm. then I went
0: for twenty years. In LA all the doors opened for me and everything, you know. Mhm. Every door, every door opened, you know.
1: Hmm.
0: So. And, cool,
1: well, that's and, a really interesting had, story.
0: Yeah, and I also, before all that, there were many other awakenings, awakenings, like I had sexual trauma, you know, a date rape, that kind of thing. I mean, a lot of people have these things, but when I had my sexual trauma that happened to me, a boyfriend in Philly before I went and date raped me uh, and his friends, I realized that even at that point, I realized that I was put in that situation so that I could learn about um, emotions, more about boundaries, about numbness in the area of the pelvic. Because mm-hmm. then I became numb in that area after mm-hmm. not having, you know, after that that very abusive experience. But then when I got into all this work, the numbness went away. So I knew how to get rid of it how mm-hmm. to come back to my, to who I was. Because that really, mm-hmm. any type of rape, this was like a date rape, like five guys, and any type of rape will leave you numb. It can leave you numb or mm-hmm. very needy, or everyone is, has a different reaction when those things happen. But in my situation, I knew that I was put into that situation to, to learn, to experience what other people... And everything that I I do and everything that I teach I experience it I embody everything and for some reason I find myself in the experience and that's how I am able to teach it yeah because then you have
1: empathy you can have empathy for what other people have been through because you've been there yourself so you're like the ultimate um, wounded healer
0: (laughs) well yeah yeah but I don't yeah I guess you could say wounded healer but you know I I feel like I recreated myself like I, I I don't have any, any scars of that, like that sit in my head mm-hmm. where a lot of people, they need a, a cognitive restructuring because even if they work the pain out in the body, they still have, you have memory, but, you know, with all this Reichen therapy, the bioenergetics, Dr. Wilhelm Reich's work, and all of this heavy-duty breathing that I've done so dedicatedly over the years that you, you, um, you just recreate yourself. So I'm not, I don't consider myself to be, oh, a survivor or a victim I just recreated Mm -hmm. my life. Like I felt like I was Mm -hmm. just alone when I left my parents to go in that hospital for six months to a year. I I um, I, I, uh, felt like I was like recreating me. I was rebirthing myself.
1: Right. So I felt like I. Um,
0: After I got out of my mother's womb, I just became reborn again. You know.
1: Right. And And I didn't
0: have all her pain. It was like, and over the years, like I keep rebirthing. Rebirthing was one of the. The breasts I've studied at first with uh, Sandra Ray mm-hmm. here in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know who she is, Sandra Ray.
1: Um, she yeah, I've heard the name. <laughs> is she the the creator of rebirthing? Her and Leonard Orr. And okay, um, yeah. But uh,
0: she was one of the first. <laughs> it was funny. She rebirth I took a rebirthing class in Philly, and she she's friendly with uh, Tony Lamastro here, who does that work with her, and it was just. The weirdest thing: there was so many people in the class, and she became the one who rebirthed me—the uh, mm. the, the teacher, the guru herself—and she rebirthed at me. And she said, "You have to go to California." <laughs> <laughs>
1: so let me interrupt you. Let me interrupt you there because I do I do want to get a little bit more into the importance of breath in um, healing, and also talk a little bit about, more about tantra and the masculine and feminine. But before we go there. I want to bring in the concept of open relationships and polyamory into our discussion. And you call yourself a modern sex and relationship coach. So um, how did you come about calling yourself, what does modern mean to you, and how do uh, ethical non-monogamous relationships fit into that for you? Well, modern doesn't mean polyamory. It doesn't mean. No, I, you know, I, I didn't mean yeah. to imply that. I just meant how does it fit into, what does the word modern yeah. mean to you, and then how modern. does how do open relationships fit into that? Well,
0: okay. In in this world we're in now, we, we, we first of all, we're in a very technological world where we're losing motor skills. We're not connecting intimately anymore or passionately or intimately, we'll say. People don't bond as much. There's not as much. Sacred touch or touch affection. Uh, there's more like more mechanical love going on out there. I- I'm not saying everyone, but I'm just saying that love is going. There's a trend. More. Yeah. yeah, it's sort of you know people don't get married anymore, and that's cool. They have kids, and you know, and they and they stay with the kid and they raise the kid together. But what I mean by modern is um, is is that the modern way today is to you know to do things. Such exercises as Tantra, like more communication, more touch, working the G-spot, opening the G-spot, and healing the awakening of the goddess. They were things that that we that, that I didn't grow up with and that, that anybody wanted to do. Now it's like everybody that uh, you date, they want to learn how to do orgasmic meditation and opening up <laughs> the G-spot. Because this is all part of the, the new modern world. That that area, mm-hmm. we have come such a long way in our psyche, in our emotional development, in, in our spiritual development. That we have to connect at even we're, we're at deeper levels now. That we have to go further, and so modern is also looking, you know, teaching people how to be more connected by looking in the eyes, by communicating and appreciating with words, with actual words. Because they, they, they take on this kind of personality in the beginning, words and things, and you're so great, and I love you, and then they they don't do that anymore after a while. So modern is, is to become more connected, bonding uh, through communication, through keeping that alive throughout the relationship, mm-hmm. working each other's G-spot, the lingam on the man, finding new ways to make him happy and please him and honoring is, Liam, honoring the sexual parts of the body that never really got honored. People just had mm-hmm. sex. And how do you honor them? You perform ritual. You know, you do ritual, realistic work. And um, and then also part of modern is is not necessarily polyamory, but allowing yourself now and then. And I don't mean for going to swing bars, but, I, I mean, just, making it be okay to maybe even share your love with someone else in a very very you know honest way a lot of communication where there's um you know um there's a lot of trust but it mm-hmm. could be considered polyamory but that's not the modern that's not what I consider I mean, that's just like allowing that to be there because In the world we're in now, novelty wears off, novelty. Mm -hmm. And novelty, Mm -hmm. you have to find more eroticism. You have to find more play. You have to find new things over and over. And keep recreating your relationship, like let's go away for a weekend at some place where they have a swimming pool with a heart, and, and, and keep recreating the weekend. But sometimes when the novelty wears off, you don't really want to lose your mate, so maybe it is healthy. it depends now it's not for every relationship, but to bring in someone else sometimes to help mediate the the whole thing where it's done in a really classy way that's very healthy and very communicative and very trusting because I mean polyamory like some people are really into polyamory and i'm not I'm not a polyamory person, but I'd say that you know, in my relationship, if I want to bring in someone else once in a while just for that moment, not for it to be a Mm -hmm. habit or anything then Mm -hmm. I think that's okay because but we have to continually find new ways to make ourselves to recreate the desire, recreate the the, to 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 get away from this novelty, this wearing off and Mm -hmm. and we have to Keep working at it is what i'm saying, and so modern means yes, really exploring the relationship more to keep it alive because
1: it can deaden with
0: technology
1: yes, and so you're talking about what I call being monogamish, and this is a ah. term that dan Sav- Dan savage coined, and he found that um, as a general rule, gay male couples were more forgiving if one of them had a Extra relationship affair Um, They were a little more forgiving That men in general Can compartmentalize sex a little Better and and it was a little Easier for gay male Couples to get over An infidelity and so He and his partner just decided that they Were going to give each other a pass if they Occasionally wanted To you know be with someone else Um, So that's where the term Monogamish came from but there's also a really Great TED talk about it and I use that a lot in my practice for couples that don't want to ha- be completely polyamorous where they have ongoing relationships with other people. But there's so many different ways that couples can keep the spice alive, whether it's, like you said, bringing someone over for an intimate tantric ritual where there's maybe, maybe there's just eye gazing, maybe there's a little bit of touch, maybe there's full-on sexuality, whatever the agreements are. But there's also all these other ways that you can add spice by um, allowing flirting. Like, we're going to go out to this party and we're going to flirt, but we're not going to actually get anyone's phone number. We're just going to flirt because flirting is its own thing. Or we're going to kiss, but we're not going to take it beyond kissing. So there's just an, almost an infinite number of ways that couples can decide to um, use the energy that they find with, with new partners without actually full-on being sexual or full-on having a relationship. So that's what I hear you saying. Yes,
0: and but also um, the modern way is just to forget about any other partners within the the one relationship, the relationship, is to just learn how to pay more attention to each other. And, uh, you know, because back in the day, in, say, my parents' day, like they would just have sex and that would be it. But their love was mm-hmm. probably, who knows, maybe, more, maybe it was more authentic, but they didn't communicate. See, they weren't voicing how, what they wanted in bed, the women then. But so the new way is voicing what you want in bed. Tell your man, hey, I desire this, I like that. So that's modern. So it's back mm-hmm. in the day, they would do that. Sexual revolution is a whole other thing. That came in, and everybody was just having sex, you know, get, get high and have sex. And, and that wasn't really emotional. But now emotions probably were always there way back in the day, but there was no communication as far as, honey, you know, stick your finger here, do that, yes. <laughs> you know, like get kinky-talking back, you know, kinky-talking back. Yeah. Because that's really important. And the woman didn't have the voice, and that's what's modern. And the man having the feminine energy that he didn't have way back in the day, they were very, you know, man, macho. We love that, but we also like that heart. We like the vulnerableness. And we like mm-hmm. to know that he's going to be understanding and connecting to that feminine in the world as a way of, you know, nourishing the relationship that he is in. So this is modern. As far as having the other person, that's, that's whatever. I mean, that's just, this is modern. Voicing got it, voicing, got it. Voicing, Yeah.
1: I love that. um but, Yeah. But Okay, I was just going to say, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. We're speaking with Anita De Francesco, who's the founder of Tantra Wisdom. She's talking about modern sex and relationships. And I, I'm really excited that you were talking about using your voice, and I want to dig into that a little bit more. Um, I've been thinking about that a lot because we've all been trained to not talk about sex and having those consent conversations or those um, sexually transmitted infection conversations can be really hard when people aren't used to talking about it. And then even during sex, um, people have been trained that they should just know. They should just know what your partner wants or you should watch a porno and figure it out. And, um, and we all need to be talking more and we need to learn how to make talking sexy. So that's an, an article that I'm working on. is called Using Your Words,
0: how mm-hmm. to romance
1: in the post in the post me too era. But um, I want to what I want to talk about right now and ask you about is I have I've had this thought that the reason why women have so much trouble even knowing what we want in sex, let alone asking for it, is because of the old patriarchal programming where we were told that you know if you're a sexual woman, if you know what you want, that you must be a slut or a whore. And so you have to pretend like, oh, sex just overcame me. I don't know. It just happened. So have you thought about that and how difficult it is from our internalized oppression around female sexuality, how difficult it is for women to find the words, to figure out what they want and be able to speak it. And be able
0: to be accepted for themselves and the world. Mm -hmm. Because the whole slut, the patriarchal thing about you know, a woman that is independent and she's able to stand up and voice her opinion about sexuality, she could get knocked down as being a, as being called a slut. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm th- I'm thinking about uh, Madonna when she uh, made that mm-hmm. speech at the bill- Billboard, and she uh, she talks about this. You, you should really mm-hmm. listen to that that Billboard award. That I did. I saw that. Brilliant.
1: Yeah. Great yeah, speech.
0: and and I. I thought that that was very empowering because she literally became a slut in her performances, but she didn't become a slut because, you know, she became a slut because she was having a voice and, Uh um, you know, the the voice was, um, saying, you know, Hey, this is okay. And, and, uh, but I think that when a woman is, you know, a a woman will always be, someone will always put a lid on her or at least back then, into uh, keeping her, you know, <clears throat> locked up in a box, and because the more the woman comes out, the more power she gets, and she gets more mm-hmm. of you know, this power of in, in the in the in the, the pussy power, so to speak, you know. And this is what gives her um, her courage to be who she is. And I think that uh, we have a lot of transference from the past, maybe from our parents or. Uh, just from the back in the you know the other generations where uh, a woman didn't have her voice, and I think the transference has carried on. But now people are actually seeking out, and that's where tantra and all these sacred uh, relationship classes come in—is wanting to learn how to speak to their partner. But mainly, more so, is that the partner, especially the male, is accepting of it.
1: Mm-hmm. To be able, and,
0: and our job is to teach them how to accept that she's asking for this without him feeling like his power is being taken because we have to really address that. The the man's power, we don't want it to go away. We're not trying to be bigger or better but we want that acceptance and it has to be learned because if a woman is going to be in a relationship with a man who hasn't had some type of education or counseling or spiritualness or something, the relationship could suffer because like I said our job is to make him become more acceptable of her voice her coming into her power exactly really that's working.
1: one of the things i one of the things i tell yeah, men is if there's one thing that i can teach you how to be a great lover it's to let your woman know that you really want to hear what she wants and make her feel super super safe telling you and remind her over and over again that you want to know <laughs> That's the, I think the number one thing that that makes man, a man a great lover. Yes, by him giving her
0: that confidence. Huh? Mhm. Yeah. Giving
1: her
0: the confidence. So and, and teaching yeah, them yeah, sorry, what you want. You know, yeah, and also teaching each other what you want, but it's and, and some women feel they they don't feel um they feel shame when they have to teach the man or ask the man and that's where all, that's where that voice gets hidden and buried because there's shame. Shame about anything could
1: be about their parents yeah, and, and I have had I have had I have had men say make little snide remarks like, Oh, you're kinda of bossy, ha 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 you know, or um or I know, I know, I know, I got it, you know, like little remarks that make it unsafe for me. So that's why I tell men that that you have to be excited when a woman is trying to tell you what she wants. Like Tell like give her huge rewards for that. Don't shut her down, because as they say in tantra, a happy Shakti is a happy Shiva. (laughs)
0: Right,
1: but if he's someone
0: Um, that hasn't learned, then it may be hard for him to uh, you know to stay in that type of relationship. Yes, because both have to to learn. And I always believe in teaching my partner. I teach everything i'll I'll say whether they've ever been to anything spiritual or not necessarily tantric but spiritual, just on a path of some type of spirituality um if if they have never been and I, and I teach them things i I want to teach them this is what I want, and I'm going to say my voice and talk and and I want you to accept it and if you can't acknowledge me. Then, then, this then, i my my entire orgasm of this whole relationship is is going to be off, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know. And right. so, it, that's that's the whole the orgasm is the whole relationship, not just the moment of having that climax and the whole. So, a lot of people are very repressed. A lot of women still are very repressed with the voice, and even the men are because I encourage the men to have their voice too. A lot of men don't have their voice either. You know when it comes to um expressing um, uh, there's shame in the man too, and there's there's also a lot of wound that that needs to come forward in their you know in their healing, which there's a lot of men healing classes out there now
1: going on so. yes, exactly. I have so many questions to ask you. I don't know where to start, but let me start here. so you talked about earlier when you were young and you were in the hospital. And you really needed those friends. You were desperate for friends. And when you opened your heart, everybody wanted to be your friend. So, um, And then we also were talking about the internalized oppression around um, having our voice around what we want sexually and how it's such a social stigma for particularly a woman to say what she wants sexually and be empowered around her needs. So my question for you is, what role do you think community plays in the process of becoming alive and whole around our sexual selves? Um, what, what, what
0: role does the community play? Mm. Yeah,
1: the, the concept well, of community and how important is that for our healing, to be in a positive community? Well, I mean, community of choice. Just general community. Yeah, a positive, a positive
0: community. Yeah, right. So, in a positive community, well, like we say, the village, the village, and the group experience and the team. I think the team and the group energy creates the bonding and creates the, the intimacy. Uh, if the person, you know, maybe doesn't have a the family they could talk to, or. or uh, I feel that community is very important, but of course, of course, chosen community because not every community mm-hmm. is going to be supportive. And uh, right. you know, of course, in L.A. Everything there's so many communities in L.A. and they're all of choice. So you know what kind of community you're getting into. And mm-hmm. and that's my thing. I always want to know the type of community I'm getting into. And I, I believe it's very important to have this as a as a as a sort of like a. A ba- a backup in um, and as part of the nourishment, as part of the growth of of someone's sexuality, the community. Yes, it's very important. I believe it plays a mm-hmm. a very significant role in in a man
1: or a woman. Right, for us to be practicing new behaviors, new ways of being, and having support and witnessing other people doing it too, I think makes us feel less stigmatized. Right, but
0: um, when you're practicing, but in this community, you're not really having sex. Is that what you're saying? It's it's just a community of healing.
1: Yeah, I'm just talking about being in a community that's supportive of this modern way of being, a community that's all all practicing healthy communication. They're all practicing um, finding our voice. They're all practicing, yeah.
0: They have your lingo, in other words in the in the community, so you're able to be able to say what you want without them judging you, and you're able to um, do do something without them looking down upon you or so it's more exactly. acceptable yeah so so the judgment is lifted in a community that and the lingo is there, so you may be able free to say what you want to say, how you want to say it, and at the same time you're learning how to um, to be able to um ferment this in your personality
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah and i also think i also think it.
1: of sorry go ahead yeah no go ahead go ahead yeah. i was just saying um so so much of like psychotherapy comes from this individual work that we do we uh, in the history of psychotherapy not so much recently but historically we go into a private session with the therapist we Hardly tell anybody that we're going to therapy because they might judge us as being crazy and a lot of people won't even go to a therapist because they think it means they're crazy and they're supposed to just heal themselves and um, get better from working with the therapist but I just feel like so much of our healing can't be done in isolation like that. It needs to be done out in the open being witnessed by multiple people and having lots of support around you like you had in the hospital, like you were craving friends. So we all need... To be seen in community, and when we have a healthy community that's practicing good boundaries, good communication, a healthy way of being, then we have role models who are doing this, and it makes it welcoming welcoming for us to try new things.
0: Yes, and the and the role models are your new are your new people that you look up to, and
1: exactly the, the
0: boundary Yeah, and and also, um, you know, since I've done a lot of dance movement and I was always in witness groups, and that's where I found most of my profound healing to come in the breathing and the the movement therapy groups, and they were always groups, and they were community, and that was my community for 20 years where I was able to be witnessed and unfold and really recreate the person who I am. So Mm -hmm. I stepped out of my... Where I came from, stepped out of the family and really really recreated myself through the the communities that I chose to to work work who I was with and i got and I, right. I the witnessing is very much very important to be witnessed, especially in whatever it is that's unfolding in you and and wherever it is that you're um you know you're recreating yourself so it's
1: the witnessing needs to be there yeah. That's the key. Yeah, that's exactly what I had in mind. I figured you must have used community a lot in your own healing. That's perfect. Um, Another topic I want to talk about was um, you say on your website, emotional freedom is the path to healthy eroticism. So can you talk a little bit more about what that means? And I just took a portion of the quote, but emotional freedom is the path to healthy eroticism. Can you talk about why that is?
0: Well, eroticism is, you know, eroticism is, I mean, it can be many things, but in eroticism has to do with um, your sexuality, your sensuality, you know, the, um, what, what I'm really saying is, is that without emotional sanity, eroticism is not going to be that healthy or that good. Mm-hmm. You won't have it. You won't have that desire. Mm-hmm. So in other words, I, I know that's, sentence I made, um, erotic. I have to go back and read it. Um, so you're, you're only as healthy as your emotions are alive. You're only mm-hmm. as healthy sexually. You're only as erotic, and eroticism is the, is, the, is the thought of eroticism. It's the sensual. It's leading to the passion and leading to the arousal. But if you don't have your emotions that are alive in your body, and if these emotions are, are repressed or they're they're buried and, and there's you're not experiencing the flow of them the life of them and eroticism won't be there you won't even know what desire is so you're only as healthy as you are healthy um, let me see that uh, what you uh, I don't have my website on emotional freedom is the path is the path to yeah um yes yeah, so in other words you're only as free and if you if you don't have emotional freedom you don't have freedom. And how can you be free sexually? I mean, someone can right. have sex. But they're not going to be free. They're not going to experience the greatest orgasms or the full orgasms. They're not even going to, to understand what it really is to, be, to, to have the desire to have uh, not, not only desire, but um, the, um, to have this, this uh, arousal level without your emotions. So it, it just becomes mm-hmm. uh, you know in the mind. So the senses are deadened. So in Tantra, we teach about the senses. But my whole thing is, is emotions, because I knew as a child that when my heart was closed, that was a, that was one of the biggest emotions of the body, or at least where emotion comes from, a lot of it. And that was deadened. And I knew that my sexual would suffer. And that's why I was exposed to rape and different things after that, because my heart wasn't wasn't fully open and I knew that when my emotions were healthy that I would have healthy sex.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I would mm-hmm. have healthy eroticism and eroticism mm-hmm. is, you know, is your, um, I was just looking that up today, the exact thing about eroticism, it's, it's your senses, it's your, how, how much of your senses do you allow to be free or to show mm-hmm. in, in, um, in a relationship? Do you Mm -hmm. allow the senses to be there, or are you repressing them? Are you in shame? So Mm -hmm. there's this whole thing about the sensory, the sensory emotions.
1: And without them, Mm -hmm.
0: eroticism is dead.
1: Right. So if someone comes to you...
0: Eroticism Eroticism needs sensual. Sensual is your motor skills. You open up the senses through the juice of the emotion. Mm -hmm. And that's how you become sane in your sexuality. So now you're sexual. The sanity of your sexuality is like, I can do this and be what I want and say what I want, and that is sanity for me. Without all those voices of, ooh, it's not good. Ooh, what do they think? Or what is he thinking? Ooh, you know, you can just be who you are, and that's your orgasm. Mm -hmm. Being who
1: you are. Yeah. And so if somebody comes to you and they are emotionally shut down in one area or another or their body's numb in a certain area. Um, do you use breath work? Is that an important part of what you do to help them heal um, and get through the armoring of their body? Tell us about how breath, breath work um, helps people heal from body armoring. Well, I, I work with
0: her split. I feel that we're split from the lower body to the upper body. Now, we would... In Dr. Wilhelm Reich's work, it's it's called um, they, they they're seven points and they would be like chakras, but of course he was a medical doctor, so he doesn't really talk about chakras. But you have all these different uh, centers, like you all the way down. And the first part you want to address is the eyes, because the eyes have the most armor. And if someone's eyes have armor, which means they're not fully connecting to you when they look at you and when you're having a conversation, that means that they're not really feeling in their body. And there are, and a lot of people that come to me, their eroticism is suffering. Something in their sexuality is suffering because their emotions are deadened, because it means they're split. And the armor is the unexpressed emotion that lives in your muscles. Now, it doesn't come away from a massage. You can massage your muscles all you want, but the armor in there. That unexpressed emotion in the character will not be released that way. It, it needs to be released through the Orgone Energy Breathing, which is um, a charging up type of breath to to work with fossil emotion in the body at a cellular level. And once these fossil emotions start to recharge inside, it's almost um, that you're. It's like you're suturing, opening up the body to re, to recreate it. And then you fill it up with newness. And then what happens to the individual is that they have to go through a um, uh, a series of rebuilding themselves. They, they they will start to feel a little bit, you know, like naked because armor is starting to come down. But they need a support group and, they, and, of course, me, the witness, the teacher, and the group. And um, what happens is once they start to undo these layers, then they get... A little bit more of a voice, and they start to, their eyes start to look more expressive. They're segments, they're called segments in the body. And once the eyes start to look, the, bo- the pelvic area starts to open up and starts to feel the arousal. And so desire mm. comes back. Desire comes back. Because you, uh, you, without desire, without the thought of desire, you, your sexuality, you, you, desire is necessary for a good sexual life. And mm-hmm. um, desire is necessary to just want to be passionate about things that you're doing, your creative projects and things. so desire is um is headed when there's that split or it's not fully there and This mm-hmm. is really involved work. I mean, I have helped so many people get their split back together. And and most people are suffering in the sexual area because of the unexpressed emotion. Now, those unexpressed emotions could be anything. It could have been one thing someone said to them as a child, a a parent or a teacher that deadened them in an area or affected them in some intimate bonding way, not necessarily in the physical part of sex, but sometimes in the physical part of sex, or that the orgasms aren't as expressive or someone's, you know, having a lot more premature or they're not staying erect and they're very young or the woman just never had an orgasm, Mm -hmm. you know, and and if the woman has never had an orgasm. She's really, really uh, has a lot of armor in that area there from just from old boyfriends or family or whatever the abuse or doesn't necessarily have to have been abused, but whatever went on. So it's in the muscle. It's in the muscle and it's connective tissue that rewires itself. In a fluid level that goes around through the body, and this is the youth, and this is how you become young again when you mm. remove those old, old unexpressed, and it's the connective tissue that starts to regenerate. It's neurologically done on some level, and I've been doing this you know, for the last twenty years, getting it on myself and doing it on people. And it's the only thing that without touch, without touch on the body and the vaginal area that I was able to learn how to have orgasm again after the, mm. the rape. Beautiful. The
1: Thank you so opened, much for that. Yeah.
0: yeah it it opens me back up to become orgasmic, to feel desire, to feel the desire for a man, for a partner. And after a rape, uh, you, you sort of lose that or you don't understand it because... There's a, there's a numbness that takes over.
1: Got it. Um, but, we only have about five more minutes, and I, I want to bring up a, a big topic, so we'll see if we can speak about it within only five minutes. Um, so you talked earlier about women needing to learn empowerment around their sexuality, to be able to ask for what they want and take control of their needs. And then you talked about men learning to be more vulnerable and it's not that we want them to let go of their masculinity and their protectiveness and their, um, their strong essence. We just want them to also have balance to be able to go to that place of vulnerability, that place of holding space, that place of listening. And so, again, women, we don't want women to lose their vulnerability and their tenderness, but just to have more balance. So how does the work you do heal the rift between the masculine and the feminine, both within us individually and in, be- in between men and women. And how is that, how does that tie in with the direction of the, the me too movement? Well, the, the meat, mm, that's a, yeah, that's a big move. Well, it's a big question. We only have four minutes. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Okay. Well, um,
0: I think with the me too movement, there's um, it's something that needed to come out at this time and in, mm-hmm. in, in our world where we are, uh, and I, I think that um, men have not, the, the men that, that are, are being accused, and me too, have not actually come into that part of themselves, that feminine part, that, that part that uh, can put themselves in the place of a woman and understand a woman and know how to really nourish a woman. I'm not saying they don't know how to love a woman, but really understanding the power of the feminine. And I really think that they're in fear, and a lot of them have wounds. And I think that they're so much in fear because there's such that thin line that they're so close to being her, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And me me too. And whoever came up with me too, I really think it's, it's the man is me too and the woman is me too because there's such a thin line there uh, where, where the man wants to be the woman. Not that he wants to be a woman. He wants to be the woman. And he wants to experience what she's feeling and what she's got because it's, it's gold that the woman and her orgasm and her power and her sexual prowess is so, uh, you know, if every man, if every woman knew the value of their own sexual self, their sexual being, and the man who's the Me Too guy is the one that sees that and wants to crush
1: that
0: mm. he wants to he wants because he has he feels he is he has that in him and i don't know if it's a jealousy or a hate i mean there's always that kind of those kind of thoughts there but it's more like i want to be her so i will take her mm-hmm. in the way mm-hmm. that i want and kill that part of her that's in me that i can't have and express the man wants uh-huh. to be her that's, mm-hmm. that's, that, I always said that a man who always abused me wanted to be me. Be, I had mm-hmm. that power that he wanted, and he couldn't handle it. And so that's mm-hmm. me too, you know. And that that that's um that part of and those men that are they're usually they're pretty heavy heavy duty powerful men in you know wealthy and whatnot. And so their novelty is way worn off. A lot of them, like Weinstein or whoever, all of them the whole crowd, you know, they, they are usually those types of men with that novelty. But they have crossed that, that line in their higher power that they, they so want to be the woman. They want to be her, but they want to be a man. You know, they want to be who they mm-hmm. are, you see. And I, that's, that's the way I see it. Um, and how do we learn? Well, of course, men now are going to, more men are becoming more fearful. And we don't want to set shame in men and Men look at women, they're afraid they're going to be called on as a me too. But what what we want to say to men is that um, just be, you know, of course, more respectable to a woman, but allow yourself to be who you are and allow her to be who she is mm-hmm. and allow the vulnerableness to be there. But the teaching has to come more from the woman uh, mm-hmm. it's, because the man isn't, I don't think he's as equipped yet to really want to teach. The woman has to teach the man the manly things and the womanly things. She has mm-hmm. to teach. It's a big job being in a relationship today. It's a very big job.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and, you
0: know, the man is not going to go with you to tantra workshops and things like that. But um, so my whole thing is they
1: want to be us, the men. Yeah, so and they've disowned that part of themselves and they're trying to reclaim it by... Taking it from women, yes, and that's when she gets abused
0: in the way that mm-hmm. we've been seeing out there, and uh because they have such a strong a strong and especially like I said these
1: high powered men whose novelty is out the window,
0: and they right. so so, so, so re-
1: real quick, real quick in one minute, can you tell us why you feel like? the woman needs to teach the man about both femininity and masculinity.
0: Well, because somebody has to initiate. Mm -hmm. Okay. And a woman now with the me too is courage. That's giving the woman courage now to have her voice more Mm -hmm. with all these things coming out. And Mm -hmm. for the women that, that don't have the voice and, to ask for what they want and to say, hey, I'd like you to touch me this way or that way to, and to teach him because men need to be taught what a woman likes. And once we start mm-hmm. to teach them, they will, they will teach us. Now, I just had a couple call me and the man says, I don't know how to be pleased. My wife doesn't know how to please me. So I have to teach them. I have to give her technique on how to please him. But there's mm-hmm. a lot of giving and receiving. Exercise. There's a lot of giving and receiving exercises out there that that starting with communication and touch. But I, I really believe that the woman is the teacher, the mother, the woman, and then Got the it. more we teach, more men become involved. They will start to be. Okay, us.
1: thank you. We we only have a minute, so I want to give you a chance to tell our listeners how they can reach you. And I believe you also have a gift for our listeners. So please take it away from there.
0: Yes, um, I can be reached at uh, com. I have a Facebook group, Tantra Wisdom. So it's a real popular group. You can go on there and post and see what what's on there. I have a lot of people putting their stuff up. And I have a free 30-minute breathing consultation for anyone that would like to uh, try out some of the breathing work. I do. I can work with you in, in Skype or Or in Philly right now, that's the city I'm in, or New York. And and how can people reach you through your website? Through the website, uh, tantrawisdom.com.
1: And there's a way that they can write to you there through your website? Oh, sure. They can
0: get the email
1: in there, yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, great. Info at at tantrawisdom.com.
1: Perfect. Okay, Anita. Well, thank you so much. It's been a really enlivening conversation with you. I really loved it, and I so appreciate your time. And hopefully we can have you back another time. You're just a, a treasure trove of wisdom. So I'd love to have you back in the future so we can get a little bit more deeply into these topics. Yes.
0: Thank you, Samadhi. Thank you very much. I enjoyed
1: speaking with you. Your show is wonderful, and have a good evening. Okay, thank you. Good night. So next week on Leading Edge Love Radio, we're going to be speaking with my friends Amrita and Apollo Grace. They're certified spiritual sexual educators. And uh, Amrita is the co-founder of the Sacred Feminine Mystery School in Maui. Um, and they travel all over speaking about sacred sexuality. And they're a real uh, role model of a, a beautiful, dynamic couple who's practicing what they preach So please join us next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Pacific time for Leading Edge Love Radio. Good night, everybody.